The emphasis of our series is becoming people who reflect God's generous nature by living like he does with open hands. But, you know, I've kind of wondered to myself from time to time if I'm a bit self-deceptive about my own practice of generosity. Now, I'm not picking on anybody this morning, but I'm just saying we can be awfully kind of self-delusional about how generous we really are. And sometimes I wonder if I kind of have some shady ways of making myself look generous when I'm really not being that generous at all. And maybe I'm just letting myself off the hook. We're going to watch a humorous and a little bit over-the-top video maybe this morning about excuses of people who try to make themselves maybe look a little more generous than they really are. Train your eyes on the screens as we watch this video together. I give to God by enjoying what he has given me, okay? I mean, do you really think he expects something back? Now, I know there's a lot of people at church that would not understand this line of reasoning. That's why, just to make things simple and not to cause any controversy, I like to carry what I call the little empty envelope, all right? You see, when the plate gets passed, I bloop, put it in there like that. The deacon's counting the money. They only know me as the crazy empty envelope guy, but the people sitting around me, clueless. <laughs> I win, they win, God wins. No one gets hurt because no one knows. God knows. Huh? Let me ask you a question, huh? How's your mutual fund? Hey, for that matter, how's all your funds? Ha- has the fund left your funds, huh? Has your do-re-me taken a W-A-L-K, huh? What if I told you that I knew about an investment you could make that the return would be mind-boggling? And and, and, and it's it's promised. It's guaranteed. I know what you're saying. There's no guarantees. This one's guaranteed, okay? Malachi 3.10. That's what it says in the Old Testament. It says, test me, give to God, and he will give you back. It goes like this. I give this, he gives this. I give this, he gives this. I give this. Right up there. He keeps giving. I can't out-give God. How crazy is that? Do I love him? Sure, whatever. I'm just saying, if you give, he gives back. <laughs> I tithe. But just not like in the form of a 10% check, per se. Let me tell you what I mean. When I go to church on a Sunday morning, they're selling donuts. I buy some. Boom. That's a tithe. When my whole Sunday school class wants donuts, and I, out of the goodness of my heart, buy a whole bunch for the Sunday school class, boom. That's another tithe. But it's not about me spending money. It's about the smile on people's faces. That, my friends, is tithe enough for me. Case in point, the church was having date nights where we could take our spouse out for an evening, and they were charging $25 for child care. Boom shakalaka tithe. I'll tell you what the biggest tithe was. When I spent over $100 on our meal, and my wife was grinning ear to ear, that, my friends, a tithe. I, w- I would like to give. I would, okay? But everything right now is just crazy. I mean, just crazy, you know? I mean, not normal crazy, really crazy, you know? And if after I paid my bills and took care of the things that I need and want, then I would, I would consider giving something, but not now's crazy. We're, we're, we're going to give later. We've already talked about it. I mean, down the road, we'll be crazy givers, but right now it's just crazy. Yeah, I have money. That's a fact. But you know what? It's a hard thing between me and the Lord and the pastor because he needs to know what I'm giving now that we have this little building campaign going on, if you know what I'm saying. And pastor, I'd give a little bit more. I'd give a little something, something if you'd have that music minister sing a couple more hymns now and then, huh? Hey, what's this? Watch this. 
Is that a Benjamin? I think it is. Benji likes hymns. Come on. You want it? Ah, come on, Pastor. Do what I say, huh? Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> oh, in my life, Lord, be glorified in me. I put money in the plate. Wait, wait, wait. Look what I have here. I hope it doesn't interfere. That everyone can hear how I give with cheer That everyone could be like me Well, hopefully you and I aren't that out to lunch when it comes to fostering a giving spirit But all of us could use some coaching when it comes to living generously because we live in a world that tells us to be consumers, not contributors. It doesn't tell us to be generous givers. It tells us to consume in a consumeristic culture. And so in our series, we're not just doing these series of messages. We're also doing some other things to engage in four key practices. We're studying the scriptures together to see what God's word says. We're memorizing the scriptures to hide God's truth in our heart. We're praying so that we can hear God's voice when it comes to generous giving, and we're making a commitment, and we're committing ourselves to God's plan for our life. So far, 99 people plus have committed to the four-month giving challenge as of last week, and we encourage you to uh, be part of that, to take uh, advantage of that, be part of that four-month giving challenge. I'd like to see over 200 people be part of that. And you have the whole way up to the end of this series. As a matter of fact, we'll keep emphasizing the four-month giving challenge throughout this whole year because generosity is our theme for the year. So there'll be other times for you to do that. But it takes a pattern in our life to get over the consumeristic culture that we live in and to be generous people with not only our time, but our t- with our talent and also with our treasure. And so this morning... We're going to kind of look at a story that's very probably familiar with you in Scripture, but we're going to look at it in a little different light this morning. It's the story of the wayward son or the prodigal son. And as we look at the story, we're going to discover that there is a caution in the story, that there's some principles in the story, but there's also an invitation in the story for us to step out of consumeristic living and step into generous giving as far as it comes to the kingdom of God. So I want you to sit back just for a moment and take in the storyline as Jesus gave it long ago when he told the story of the wayward son. Just listen to it as I read it to you. It says that Jesus told them a story. He said, a man has two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. And so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. A few days later, his younger son packed up all of his belongings. He moved off to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About this same time that his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything to eat. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am and I'm dying of hunger. I will go home to my father, and I'm going to say this. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and 
I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So please take me in as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. His father was filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. He embraced him. He kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe out of the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead, now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard the music and the dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's going on in there? Your brother's back, he was told, and your father has killed a fatted calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry. He wouldn't go in. So his father came out, and he begged him, But he replied, all of these years I've slaved for you, never once, and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to do. And in all that time, you never even gave me a young goat so that I could have a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering his money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now that he's found. You know, more than anyone else, Jesus, the Son of God, had a clear picture of what the generous Father looked like. He knew that the Father was on an all-out search and rescue mission to find his lost children and that if anybody could relate what true generosity looked like, It was Jesus Christ. So when we ask for God's two cents, we have to look at the example of Jesus. And so this morning, when we say, what's God's two cents look like about living generously? Number one, God would say to us, stop living for instant gratification. Stop living for instant gratification. A a pervasive sense of entitlement has fueled the mantra of mankind, and it's echoed down through the ages from Eden all the way up to today. And the mantra goes something like this. It's mine, and I want it right now. It's mine, and I want it right now. You might remember this commercial clip from a couple years ago that illustrates this perfectly. It's my money, and I need it now. 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 It's your money. Use it when you need Yeah, we're not advocating for uh, J.G. Wentworth. But anyhow, you may have never thrown open the window, but in effect, that's what the younger son did. He threw up the window. What he was doing and what he was saying in the culture that day would have been alarming. To say to one of your parents and to say to your father, you know, I wish that you were dead so I could have my inheritance now, which was basically what he was saying to him. It was outlandish for him to say that and demand his inheritance before the death of his father, but he was doing that. He was throwing up the window. He was throwing his head out the window and saying, it's my money, and I want it now. Now, most of you probably have never thrown open the window like that and yelled out to your neighborhood, it's my money, and I want it now. But in some way, all of us in our heart have this propensity to think somehow that God or someone else owes us to take care of us. 
And so we can kind of have this whole idea of entitlement before God. And that's what was happening with this son. And Jesus says in this story, be careful of the pull of instant gratification. Be careful. He gives us a strong caution. He lights the yellow caution light on the blinking light in front of us on the road that we're headed down and says, be cautious, be careful of the idea of instant gratification, of entitlement that somehow God and others owe you. Be very, very careful about that because it is a disease that works its way into the very fiber of your soul. Listen to how it is described in the story of the wayward son. He says, Father, give me my share of the estate now. The son's attitude reeks with entitlement. He is asking for his inheritance now. He's saying, hey, Dad, if you buy, I'll fly. You ever say that to anybody else? If you buy the pizza, I'll fly. I'll go get it, right? But he's saying that forever. If you buy, I'll fly, and I'm never coming back. I want everything now. I want you to pay for it. I'm out of here, and I don't want a relationship with you. We can't miss this. The son is not only burning a bridge with his father when it comes to finances, He's burning and torching a relational bridge with his father. He's saying, Father, I don't respect you. I don't respect what you've provided. I want it. It's mine now. I don't want your input on how to invest it or take care of it. I don't want your mentoring about how to take care of these resources. I want it. I want to do what I want with it, and I want it, and I need it now. He's demanding. He's entitled. He has a sense of entitlement. And he wants instant gratification and now, but he's burning connections with his father and his brother. In the story, it says that he doesn't spend any of the money. He immediately packs his bags and leaves. He doesn't spend any of it on the father. He doesn't even give a token of a gift back to him. He doesn't do anything for his brother. He immediately leaves. He abandons those relationships, and he starts up some new relationships and spends all the money on some fair-weather friends that as soon as he's out of cash, they're out of him. And he has nothing left. He's in a far off land. He's not only burnt bridges financially, he's burnt them relationally. They're connected in the story. His finances, his relationship, everything God's given us. And that's because God hasn't just given us finances. He's also given us relationships and they're tied together. How we deal with all of the resources God has given us, time, talent, treasure, are all interconnected, and they're interconnected in our heart and our soul. If we have this attitude that we're entitled and somehow we need it and we need it now and we need instant gratification now, we will waste our life, we will waste our resources, and someday we'll find out that we're all on our own. The pull of instant gratification takes its toll on its relationships in our lives. We'll find ourselves like him, face down in a pig pen, stuck without the resources that God entrusted to us in the first place. No, make no mistake about it, the push and pull of instant gratification fueled by entitlement leaves us living on borrowed money, borrowed time, and relationships hanging on by a thin thread in our lives. Now, I need to ask you a question this morning. And it's a very deep spiritual question. When it comes to light bulbs, which ones do you like better? 
That was a joke. That was a deep spiritual question, okay? <laughs> Do you like the old incandescent light bulb? How many of you like the old incandescent light bulb? That's your preference. You prefer that, okay? How many of you prefer the uh, CFL, the newer light bulb, okay? Okay, why do you guys that prefer the CFL like it? What are some of the things that you like, characteristics about the light bulb that you like? Saves money. What else about it? It lasts longer. Better for the environment. You can't get a shade on this bad boy though, can you? You know, you ever have the lamps where the shade fits on the light bulb? It just doesn't, they didn't quite think about that yet. I do think they do make them that are kind of rounded with this inside of it that you can do that with. Okay. How about the, uh, the old incandescent folks? What do you like about this? What's that? It dims. You can dim this. Yeah. Okay. It's brighter. It's cheaper. It turns on right away. That's right. When I turn on the lights, I don't want light 10 minutes later. I want light now. Amen. Amen? <laughs> I don't want to turn on the light and wait 10 minutes to walk across the kitchen to the coffee maker, have 10 quiet moments with the Lord. I want to get across the kitchen to the coffee maker and make my coffee. You know? This is a small, funny illustration between, you know, delayed gratification and instant gratification. And I don't think it really... Uh, measures your soul and your spirituality as to which one of these that you prefer, okay? I think it is a preference between the two. But it illustrates the point. It's so many times we just want it instantly and we want it now, you know? And we need it now. Instant gratification never brings soulful satisfaction. Instant gratification never brings soulful satisfaction. Inevitably, we lose it all For even, Jesus said, if we gain the whole world, we lose our own soul. It only breeds more consumerism and less of an idea of being a contributor in this world. And if you and I are asking for God's two cents on the matter, he says, stop living for instant gratification. Put that out of your mind and heart. And instead, number two, scrap your plan and get God the Father involved. Scrap your plan and get God the Father involved. In the words of Robert Burns, who wrote these words in 1786, they still ring true today. He wrote this, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. How many of you have heard some form of that phrase? Okay, I had a friend who used to say it almost on a daily basis. Whenever something would go wrong at work, oh, the best laid plans of mice and men often go astray, okay? The wayward son had followed his plan to a T, but he found himself face down doing a face plant in a pig pen of all places. It was incredibly unkosher of a Jewish boy to do that. And so he's stuck, but he's following his plan. Here he finds anything but the kind of generosity that he experienced when he was in the father's house. Picture this with me. When Jesus gives the next part of the story, it says that he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one even gave him those. But then he came to his senses. Circle that phrase. He came to his senses. 
He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and I'm starving to death? I'm gonna set back out for my father's house and say to him, I've sinned against both you and heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went out to his father. Finally, his life had reached this low point. Finally, in the pig pen, he must have struck his head and he came to his senses. And then he starts to ask for God's two cents. His plan lacked longevity, but it was also digging even a deeper hole for him to fall fall into moment by moment by moment because he had cashed in the Father's plan for his plan. He had nothing to eat, no one to talk to, and humiliating, meaningless work in front of him day after day after day. So he started the long for the good old days with Dad. I need to ask you, have you gotten to the point in your life where you have so tired of your plan and you've bonked your head, so to speak, in the pig pen that you've woken up and come to your senses and said, you know what? I need to consult God. I need his two cents. I need his plan. Doing life my way and my own and my entitlement and my instant gratification isn't working. There's no soulful satisfaction. There's no connection with the Father. There's only broken relationships, indebtedness to people. And I find myself just wondering where God is and when this life's going to relent. Have you gotten to that place? If you haven't, I'm praying you will. I know that that's an intense prayer, but I'm praying that you will get there and that you will bonk your head, so to speak, and you'll come to your senses and realize, I need to scrap my plan for running my life, and I need the Father's plan, the Creator who made me. It's interesting, though, that the Son, he kind of comes to his senses, and he does, but even as he sits in the squalor, he devises a plan B. But just like plan A, he fails to consult the father fully. But plan B does, it provides some some good things. There's some goodness to it, a a twofold goodness, I think. First, it's a humble plan. It's better than the first plan. The first plan was that arrogant entitlement plan. This one's humble. At least he says, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to go back and say, I'll just be your servant. I'm not your son. You know, give me three squares a day and and, and a roof over my house, and I will work like a dog for you. Matter of fact, the word that he used here means the lowest household servant that someone could have. So he says, I'm going back, and I'm not asking to be reinstated where I was. I'm asking for the lowest part of the household just to be part of that, just to be considered for that. So it's good. It's, it's humble. Secondly, it gets him headed in the right direction, back toward the Father and back toward home. And I need to ask you this morning, Which direction are you headed in? Are you headed back toward home when it comes to living a life of connection with God, being rich toward God and connecting, of living a life with an open hands, to to receive what he has and then to give it away and allocate it as he sees fit? Are you headed in that direction? Are you still headed in the direction where this is what I'm entitled to, this is mine, I call the shots, it's my plan, it's my life? Which direction are you headed You know, many times in life, I want to have my kind of 
my Christian to-do list in front of me, and I want to have it right. I want to be reading my Bible. I want to be praying. I want to be interacting with the Holy Spirit. I want to be giving. I want to kind of check these boxes off. And you know, it's important to kind of have a rule of life or a guide or a trellis to grow on where I'm remembering those things. But what's more important is which direction I'm headed in, because I can be checking all the Christian boxes and be headed in the wrong direction. I can be running my resources my way and following all the rules and headed away from the master in his heart. Or I can be turning around and I can be following him. Jesus was always what? He was always directing. He was always saying, come, follow me. Follow me back home to the Father. Follow me and I'll teach you how to get your plan together. And I'll teach you how to manage all the resources that the Father's entrusted to you. I'm the great example. I'm the generous God in flesh and blood and in spirit form. And here I am. Come, follow me. So this morning I ask you, what direction are you headed when it comes to the Father? Are you headed toward him or away from him? You know, finding your way back to God when it comes to your resources, might not be as difficult as you think. How many of you think that God can meet you in a budget workshop? One or two hands went up. God can meet you there. Any place where there's a crossroads of your resources, in a counseling session with a person who's dear to you, where there's brokenness in your relationship, God can meet you there. When your resources are at stake and you want to take stock of them and you come out and you sit around round tables and you just lay out before yourself with open hands, you know, what you have before God, God can meet you there. As a matter of fact, when you come in, you'll probably see God. He's usually in the third or fourth table over here around a round table, just kind of some glory of shining off of him and he's back there, but you can meet him. You can meet God in the most practical of places in your life, and especially when it comes to your resources. In a couple of weeks, on November the 23rd, from 8.30 to 11.30, we're going to have a budget, just a budget seminar and workshop about how to have financial peace with the resources that God has given you. And maybe you need to just sign up, and maybe you need to show up, and maybe you just need to open up your hands before God and take stock of where you are and what he's given you so that you can have a plan that's based on the input of the Father and not the wayward son. That's what God has for you. Jesus said in Luke 12, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about all the rest? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or what you will drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things as these, but the Father knows what you need. This morning we're looking for God's two cents. We're asking for his wisdom so he can move us from being consumers to being contributors. God has wisdom for us. He says, stop living for instant gratification. He says, scrap your plan and get me involved. And the third thing that he says is start living like a son, not a servant. Start living like a son, not a servant. Now, when Jesus was telling this story in that day, people would have thought by this part in the story that he had reached the crescendo of the story, that the climax was going to come down and he was going to kind of close it up. 
Yeah, the son has come to his senses. He was wrong. That was outlandish enough that he asked for his inheritance. This is crazy. But now, of course, the father's just going to reinstate him as a servant, and that's the end of the story. But Jesus throws them another curveball from the mound when he says this. The son said to the father, I've sinned against you in heaven, no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf to kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine is dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. The son sticks to the implementation of plan B only to have it blow up in his face in the most positive of ways. He plans to be restated to the family structure in the lowest part of it, but the father won't have any of it. He's saying no entitlement, no more disrespect, no more disregard, but no more sonship, only servanthood. I'll only be your servant. I'll never be your son again. That was his plan. That was his prayer that the father would be gracious enough to even oblige that after all that he had done and after he had already squandered half of the household's uh, riches and resources. The best part of plan B was its humble intention to scrap plan A and run back to the father. But when we put our hands into the heart of the father, we got to realize we need to follow his plan, not our well-devised plan. When the father takes charge, it's his intention not to have us to be just servants in his household, not to have us just serve down here, but he wants to reinstate us as his children. The father calls for the son to be given three distinguishing items that we'd reestablish his sonship in the family. He asked for a ring, he asked for a robe, and he asked for sandals. It's very important that we get this picture. In the culture of that day, it would be crazy for a father to be that extravagant, that forgiving, that empowering, that loving. First, he says, bring him a ring. The signet ring of a family meant this. And make no mistake about it, it meant this person who's wearing this ring is empowered to handle all the affairs of the household just as though he was the father and act as a representative of him. He was reinstating him fully, although he had squandered half of the inheritance. Then he says, bring a robe. A robe was not just a covering in those days. A family robe would have had a crest on it, and the crest would have been their seal. This is the clan. This is the family. You belong. I belong here. I'm clothed in my family's goodness. I'm part of a clan. I'm part of a family. I'm part of, and I represent all that it belongs to and all of its resources and all that it stands for. A coat of arms would have been all that they stood for on the shoulder of the robe. And the third thing that he's offered and has brought to him are sandals. Now you can imagine after being in a pig pen for how long and, and, and coming back home in this long journey, he says that his feet are terrible and they're torn. And a servant comes and says, before we put these sandals on, we're going to wash you and purify you thoroughly. It's not time for you to clean yourself up is the message here. It's time for the Father to clean you up. It's time for the Father's plan. You need to stop working and manipulating and just sit and let the Father cleanse you 
and clothe you and empower you and equip you to be a full son in this family. Make no mistake about it. When we're running away from God, the Father wants us to do a face plant. He wants us to come to our senses. He wants us to return. But when we return, he doesn't want us staying outside the doors of his home and his presence. He doesn't want to keep punishing us forever. That's why he sent the elder son on our behalf to find us, to die for us, to rise again for us, and sends his spirit to search out in the world for lost souls so that they can come and be full children in his family again. He doesn't want us to stay in the filth and the squalor. He doesn't want us to stay in our shame and our guilt. He died to release us from that so we can be full children in his family and be equipped and empowered to be generous just like him, to reflect his nature to this world, to wear the signet ring, to wear the robe, to be cleansed and wear the sandals and take the good news of Jesus Christ to a world who desperately needs to know that there is a God and he's not a grasper, but he's a generous giver. And he's searching for them too. God's intention for us is to be equipped to reflect his nature. Jesus said it this way, but seek first his kingdom and all these things will be given you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock. For your father is pleased to give all of the kingdom to you. Now, according to the text of Luke 15, Jesus told more than one story that day about something lost. As a matter of fact, he told three stories that day about lost things. They had some commonalities to them. All of them were about something that was lost from its rightful owner. Okay? All of these things, when they were lost, seemed to warrant an all-out search for them. And all of these things were celebrated greatly when they were found. Jesus told of a lost sheep, of a lost coin, and a lost son. Listen to that list again. A lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. Now they have a commonality in that they're all lost, but there is a vast difference between a sheep and a coin and a son, isn't there? If I'm a farmer and a sheep herder, my, my step-grandfather was a sheep farmer in State College, Pennsylvania. If he would lose a sheep, which often they did, to a fox or a wolf or a coyote, he would go out, mend the fence, but he would say something like this, you know, next year, I'm going to have more sheep again. The babies will be born. There'll be more than one replacement for that one. I can't go get that sheep back. It's gone. It's been lost. If I'm somebody who has riches, I have income, and I lose some of my income. I lose a couple dollars this week, a $5 bill, $10 bill. I search, and I can't find it. After a while, I say, you know what? I have some other income. I'm going to invest it, and I'm going to put it in the bank, and I'm going to make some money back on that. Because after all, it's just a coin or a dollar bill or a $5 bill. But you better believe that if one of my children winds up lost, I would never have that attitude. I would move heaven 
and earth to find one of my children. And that's what God did. He moved heaven and earth with open hands. He sent the elder son. See, Jesus is diametrically opposed to the elder son and his family. In the culture of that day, the elder son would have been sent out. They would have all been listening to that story going, why did the elder son stay home? Why didn't he go look for the younger son? I at times have had been at odds with my youngest son and have sent my elder son to talk to him. I know what that's like. And the elder son goes as an emissary of the father to reach out to the youngest, to sometimes the wayward. They would have been waiting for that. And Jesus said, that's who I am. I'm the elder son. I'm here with open hands. I'm spreading them wide. I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to defeat Satan, death, and hell. I'm going to rise again from the dead so that you can see that God is a God of open hands. So that you can come back to him and be his fully, fully infused son or daughter back into his family. God did that. He showed that we can be forgiven, brought back, reinstated, celebrated, but then also equipped and empowered to live our life differently for the kingdom of God. He wants us to bear his identity in this earth, to wear the signet ring, to put on the robe, to be cleansed by him and shored up by him, to put on the sandals and to bring the gospel of the good news as we walk in this earth. God has that for us. This morning, I ask you, where are you with the Father? Are you turning toward him this morning? Have you come back to him? If so, be fully engrossed back into the family and then fully reflect who he is. Don't stand at a distance. Don't live in your shame. Don't sit outside the door. Don't think I can only be God's servant, but I can never be his son or his daughter. That's just not the truth. Jesus opens the hands of the Father this morning and says, come on in. Accept his embrace this morning and open up yourself with open hands. In the next couple moments, we're going to pray, and I'm going to ask those of you who are brave enough or courageous enough to do this, I'm going to ask you to open up your hands and do something that we just call it here at Daybreak called palms up prayer. That's where you just rest your palms on your lap, but you say, Lord, I'm open to you. I need your embrace today. This may be for you. I don't know how many times you've received this embrace. This isn't the first time. You've committed your life to Christ before. This may be a a reinstatement for you, or it may be for you the first time where you say, with open hands, I accept what you did for me in the cross, and I come into your kingdom. Forgive my sins. Lead my life. I'm tired of following my own plan. As I pray this morning, if you're courageous enough and you want that reconnection with the Father, just pray this prayer with me. Pray this prayer with me with open hands. Let's talk to God together. Lord, if we need anything from you, we need to be taught how to be generous like you are. Show us how to live our life with open hands to you. 
Show us how to humbly receive all that comes from you. No sense of entitlement. No sense of it's mine and I want it now. No sense of instant gratification. But just to receive humbly all that comes from you. Then help us disperse wisely all the resources that you give. Finances, relationships, time. Lord, we want to do this so we can become like the elder brother Jesus and reflect him. Reflect his humility. Reflect his sacrifice. Reflect his generosity. And in so doing, reflect your generous nature to a world of people who need to discover a life-changing journey with you. Lord, help us engage this morning in the life-changing journey by with open hands committing all of ourselves and all that you've entrusted to us back to you. And we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people say, amen, amen. I want you at this time to pull out your response card and take a couple of minutes during this next song to just respond. Maybe write down what God said to you. Maybe it was your first time to, with open hands, receive the forgiveness and love and embrace of the Father, and you did that. Write that down. Maybe this is you know, just a recommitment day for you, or maybe it was just one of the things that was said. Also, there's a place when you to write down prayer requests on there, because we know that many of you are going through some difficult times, and you need the body of Christ to gather around and pray for you. Some of you need prayer today, and during this time, between now and the end of the service, you just need to get up during one of the songs and go out to the lobby and back to the prayer room, meet with a prayer partner, have them pray with you. Take this time to respond. Take in the song, take in the time, take in the leadership of God and do what he directs you to do during this time of response with open hands.
sureness of his promise and the triumph of his blood and when my spirit clothed in song through endless ages Jesus led me all the
sing these words together. All the way my Savior leads me. Thou shalt not cover, covet thy neighbor's guitar playing ability, right? <laughs> Amen. That's what. But it's tough. <laughs> I'd like to send you out with a song of encouragement that just matches today's message and the message of this whole sermon series, which is we just want to live with open hands. So would you stand and sing this song with us? This is a new song for this series. And uh, you guys probably know it better than I do. So if I screw up, you you guys just keep singing, all right? To give unselfishly To love the least of these Jesus, I'm learning how to live With open hands All of these treasures that I own Will never satisfy my soul Jesus, I lay them at your throne With open hands And I lift my hands open wide Let the whole world see How you love, how you died How you set me free, free at last I all I am with open hands, with open hands. To finally let go of my plans, these earthly kingdoms built of sand. Jesus, at your cross I stand with open hands. And I lift my hands open wide, let the whole world see how you love, how you died, how you set me free, free at last. I surrender all. You bore the crowd, you hung your 
You did good.